in a sense, it was like what youth, youthful people would talk about. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get married but they're young, you know? The whole idea about wouldn't it be nice if we could do this or that, you know, but they're not quite old enough to be able to do it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt Fun Fun Funderburk in Nashville, along with the amazing Shrinking Man, a.k.a. Jason Brewer. I dig it. <laughs> we are going to get into a lot today, so let's get right into some Beach Boys news. Notice I didn't say celebrate the news because we're going to start off with something that's not quite as uplifting. But um, Doris Day died on May 13th at the age of 97, lived a very long life, outlived her son, Terry Melcher of uh, Bruce and Terry fame, of course, and also Beach Boys producer and uh, produced the birds and uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Yeah, there you go. And uh you know, the Beach Boys were also referred to as Surfing Doris Days. I figured I'd mention it. Um, Doris Day, very prolific actor, singer, musician. She did a lot for animals. Yeah, that's I right. Point, I want to point that out. She, she was, was a, big, a great big conservationist. Yeah. Our thoughts go out to her family. We hope that her legacy lives on, not only through her music, but through the wonderful contributions that her son made. And we'll also be talking about her a little bit more as far as the Charles Manson connections. So, Yeah, and you know, uh, speaking of Doris Day Records, just recently, actually before she passed, I was listening to this one record she did that was like like Bossa Nova Latin stuff. And uh, there's a tune on there called Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps that is... uh, Fantastic. So if you're trepidatious about jumping into any Doris Day records, uh, take it from me, that that tune is great. So um, she did a lot of really awesome stuff. So sad to see her go, but a really long, fulfilling life. Indeed. Uh, Okay, and then uh, some good news we have. uh, Of course, right after we posted our last episode, the rest of the Brian Wilson and Zombies tour dates were announced. So if you haven't checked that out, you should go to Brian's website for ticket info. Unfortunately, we are going to be on tour for pretty much the whole month of September. So unless they add some southern dates at the end, maybe in October, fingers crossed, we won't be able to make it. But hopefully, because that's going to be a once in a lifetime experience to see Odyssey and Oracle and uh, songs from the late 60s, early 70s Beach Boys catalog. So pretty crazy. Uh, speaking of touring, Jason and I play in a tribute to the Beach Boys. Funny enough, we are called Ceylon, and we would love to see some of you guys if we are in your area. We have a big summer safari tour coming up in June, 
Uh, what are some of the cities that we're going to be hitting briefly here, Jason? All right, I'm going to lay these out for you. June 7th, we're playing in McMinnville, Tennessee. June 14th, we're playing on Tybee Island, Georgia. June 15th, Weirsdale, Florida. June 17th, Jacksonville, Florida. June 20th, Clayton, New York. June 21st, Jim Thorpe, PA. June 22nd, Charlestown, Maryland. June 23rd, Salisbury, Massachusetts. June 25th, Woodbridge, New Jersey. June 27th, Athens, Georgia. June 28th, Woodstock, Georgia. And June 29th, Cornelius, North Carolina. Yeah, all right. So let us know if you're coming out. There's ticket info on our website, sailonsounds.com. We had a nice little run this last weekend. Um, If I sound a little bit haggard, it's because I am. We just got back last night from a jaunt up north. So I want to thank <clears throat> I want to thank Jim and Maria Shepis, our longtime friends and fans, for coming to see us in Pittsburgh, as well as Kara and Brian. Uh, thank you guys very much. It means a lot to see you and hear your stories and and get to connect to you face and face face to face. Also, uh, thanks to Tim in Columbus. I didn't get to say hey to you, but I know uh, Jason got to sit with you for a bit. I don't know, big shout out to my good buddy Greg, who uh, been really under the weather and and came back to life. He told me to come see us play, um, and his friends and family uh, made sure he got to the show in uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you guys all for coming and taking the time, and we will hopefully see you guys down the road again. So enough about us. I wanted to talk about. A good buddy of mine that uh, is maybe the most insane Beach Boys fan. And I mean that in a good way Woo. that I've ever met. But um, we meet all kinds of interesting people. And we've known people over the years being in the Beach Boys fan circuit for a while. Um, and I wanted to start bringing on some people onto the show and doing little interviews uh, to kind of keep things flowing and make things a little bit more interesting. Because I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing uh, these two schmucks over and over again. But um, this last week I chatted. Boring. <laughs> this last week I chatted with my good friend Craig Sala, who I've known for about 10 years. And uh, he's a prolific touring and session drummer. And he's one of the biggest Beach Boys fans I know. He's seen the Beach Boys over 100 times. Pretty amazing. Um, so hope you guys enjoy it. Southern California in the early 60s, man, it was a lot of fun. A lot of surfing, drag races, and riding the surf. So wax up your board, and let's hang 10 with the Beach Boys.
Yeah, we don't usually do interviews and stuff, but I wanted to start doing stuff like that just now and then. And and you're like one of the first people that came to mind. So, um, well, I'm 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 flattered because you know when you ask me, I, you <laughs> yeah, know, man. I I've been listening as like as like an interview. Yeah. I was like that's that doesn't seem we to haven't be really that. done it. No, no, we haven't done any anything like that really. So I'm here with Craig Sala. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Craig. Hello. Well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered to be asked, so thank you very much. Uh, let's see. I have been a musician for 30-plus years, uh, professionally, over 30 years. Um, I've been a Beach Boy fan ever since I can remember. You know, I've been lucky enough to, to tour with some pretty cool people over the years, and I'm still happy to be doing it at my age. And Wyatt is uh, one of the people that I've worked with uh, quite a bit over the years, which is always uh, a great experience. Uh, so, yeah, who are some of the artists that people may have heard of that you've played with? I know there's a few. Uh, I've toured with John Entwistle from The Who, uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax, uh, Gilbert Clark from Guns N' Roses, uh, done a bunch of dates with Fishbone. Of course, I've been lucky enough to open for t- hundreds of, uh, of nationals, everything from... Uh, I don't know, Stone Temple Pilots to uh, the, the Strokes opened for one of my bands years ago before they blew up and, you know, it's just stuff like that. Uh, as a musician, I've played with everyone from Phoebe Snow to Helmet. How's that for, <laughs> one, extre- how's that for one extreme to the other? Uh, Love but, it. You know, my, my bands are like, uh, I've had a band playing side for 20 years, which is like a Foo Fighters, and I'm in Paranoid Social Club, which uh, we did the theme song to Beer Fest. That was before I joined. And, uh, of course, played uh, with Wyatt with uh, the Kurt Baker band and The Connection and Wimpy from the Queers. and uh, The list goes Kurt, on, basically. Yeah, Chris Rogers. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, you name it. Pilot to Gunner. Uh, yeah. So St. Brother Death. I met, I met uh, Craig because, yeah, we both played with a a friend named Kurt Baker. Um, I produced a few records for him and, and Craig was our drummer on several tours. Um, and, uh, one of the things that struck me about Craig right off the bat was that he was a big beach boys fan. Like I am. I remember the first time I went to, went to your house. I remember you showing me a picture of you and Carl and that just like blew my mind because (laughs) I really like, you know, I was kind of, my generation, you know, our generation is kind of like, we kind of missed the boat on those years with Carl and Dennis and you actually were able to see Dennis live, right? Yeah. My very first, my very first show was, uh, April, I think it's like April 6th or April 8th, 1983. So it was, uh, you know, eight months before Dennis died. And, wow. uh, it was, uh, it was it was phenomenal. It was quite an experience, you know. It's like they were, you know, the the band was on fire. You know, Carl had just come back into the band. At one point, they gave him a uh, solo spotlight, and he, I think he played, uh, you know, uh, rocking all over the world. And uh, you know, the band had covered Imagine, talked about John Lennon, and uh, Billy Joel showed up unexpectedly, and he played rock and roll music. And uh, we, my parents had gotten us really good seats, so actually, uh, Christy Brinkley was literally sitting right across the aisle from us because we were in <laughs> seats. So I'm, I'm freaking out, staring at Billy Joel, and my father's looking over Christy Brinkley, and uh, it was uh, <laughs> it, it so was phenomenal. Cool. Yeah, but De- but Dennis was already in really rough shape. Obviously, you know, sure. it was a mere eight months before he had passed, and uh, uh, he stood. He spent a decent amount of time just sitting at a table off on stage left, just drinking beers. And uh, 
that's kind of where our seats were. We're like right there. So I kind of watched him do this and he'd meander back and forth. And when the band went off stage, he went over to the mic and sang, uh, you are so beautiful acapella. Amazing. And that, yeah. And that, uh, it was, it was awesome. And, and just devastating at the same time, you know, especially having him pass so close after that. So to be honest with you, that's probably what kept me from drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, I, I can I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I've grown up in a bar, but I mean, that really, uh, that really affected me. I, I don't know anybody that's seen the Beach Boys and or Brian Wilson as many times as you have, and you, you've kept up with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, this coming weekend will be show number uh, 106. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. And, you know, really, you have to be kind of crazy to go see them yeah, that many times. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but keep, <laughs> but keep keep in mind, you know, Dennis was still alive, so I started yeah. in 1983. So that was, um, right. you know, that's, that's 30, 36 years ago. And uh, by 89, I guess the picture that you saw of me and Carl, I was backstage for two nights in a row in, in 1989. And uh, the band was kind of, intrigued that this young kid had showed up both nights and was asking all sorts of uh crazy questions just about the music and they they actually asked me to come on tour and and like host the backstage reception thing it was like a fundraiser thing called project teach i sent in all my paperwork and then they realized that i was just about to turn 17 not 18 Uh. (laughs) so uh so they're like oh man it's like we can't we legally can't take you out but anything you can drive to you know, we want you to come and, and, you know, you basically, you get the room ready. Um, you, you go out and collect the people, you bring them back and then you come get the band and you bring the band. And so I got to do that for five shows in 1990, which was just wild. <laughs> wow. That's so, amazing. Uh, What's your, uh, like, do you have a favorite general beach boys show that you saw or Brian Wilson show that comes uh, out that like maybe sticks out or maybe a few? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to just pick one, of course, sure. but, uh, Obviously, um, so in January of 89, before I had met them, um, I was at a show in Nassau Coliseum and, uh, Brian came out unannounced and he had just put out, um, the solo record. Yeah. So, um, he did love and mercy and, uh, you know, he came out with a band on the encore and did some stuff and like, just to, you know, that was, I mean, at that point I had already seen, seen them probably at least half a dozen times, but to finally see Brian, you know, it was just like, you know, there's Brian, you know? So, so that was awesome. Um, obviously, you know, me and the first time and all those shows were, were awesome. Uh, seeing Brian solo for the first time, uh, which was symphony hall in Boston, June 21st, 99. <laughs> um, it was crazy. Cause I was, I was walking up, uh, to symphony hall and I was with my buddies, uh, and we see, the van pull up and we see Jeff Foskett get out and he's like, I, I didn't realize it was Jeff at that point. He's like, oh, right. okay, Brian, it's, it's okay to get out of the car. I mean, he was mm-hmm. still like that. So it was like, it was mind blowing. And then, you know, then the show comes on and, you know, they start playing and then, and then I realized it was Jeff Foskett, which I didn't, you know, I didn't realize about halfway through the show. Cause I had seen him, you know, with the, with the beach boys in the eighties, you know, at least like 20 times, and, yeah. you know, he started singing. I was like, that's Jeff Foscott. So, um, that was wild. Um, the f- anniversary tour, uh, uh, the 50th anniversary of course was 
something guys like us prayed for to happen because we knew it would be possible, you know, if they could just figure their, put their stuff aside. Um, so I actually flew to LA and I went to the Hollywood bowl, which surprisingly was only the second time the beach boys had ever played the bowl, which I was totally floored. Um, I couldn't believe that they hadn't been there, like been there on a regular basis. Um, Brian doing smile. That tour was unbelievable. I went one night up in Saratoga, New York, and I had like front row and, um, the place was half empty, but the band was just, they were on, you know, the show was really on and it was just, you know, it was a full moon and it was just a magical show. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there was an interesting, uh, there's been a lot of interesting talk about how the Beach Boys lineup has changed over the years and the live show has changed a lot. Um, but I've been pretty impressed with the with the recent lineups, both Mike and Brian, and the the set list selection has been getting a little bit more interesting, in my opinion. Um, and oh, I know I've, you've seen them, you know, way absolutely. more than I have. But I mean, what would you say about like the the, the song selection and the way that they kind of like sculpt, you know, the different eras? And they did the Wild Honey thing. At least Mike's band did the Wild Honey thing a couple years ago, and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean, ever since the 50th, you know, they've been focusing on certain years, like, you know, they did the 50th anniversary, you know, Mike did the 50th right. anniversary of Fun, 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 and then, you know, um, Brian's going to do, uh, I guess, Friends in 2020 and Surf's Up, I guess he's going to yeah, focus on. So, yeah, so, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Are you going to get to go see that uh, that show? Uh, I'm uh, I'm going to the Greek in LA yeah. on September 12th, and I wow. will be uh, seeing them uh, here in New York on September 26th. You spend a lot of time at beach boys concerts but um what (laughs) what uh i mean like what was your first experience do you remember hearing the beach boys for the first time as a kid like you were growing up in the you know late 70s early 80s like what was your first exposure to the beach boys well i got a record player when i was like two or three years old I'm, i'm not quite sure so it was either 75 or 76 um I lived above a restaurant that my family still owns. And, uh, you know, I used to hear the jukebox to the floor, but the beach boy thing comes from, we had a close family friend who used to babysit me and my brother and he would come over with a stack of beach boy records and he'd watch the Yankee game. Mm. So, th- so those are two things that were instilled. We were indoctr- <laughs> definitely indoctrinated at a, so did it, do, how do you feel about the beach boys? Like being big, do- big Dodgers fans, supposedly, <laughs> you know, who you knows, know what? But- Listen, I got no problem with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, right. te- technically, they're a New York team, and they relocated. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like I, every right. time, every time they make a run for it, I'm like, I am rooting. I'm rooting for them. <laughs> I don't know if it's because, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's because that you know, L.A. is always, California has always felt like home to me, which is really kind of weird. Sure. And uh, I don't know if it's because the, the Beach Boys, but you know, it's just like actually a lot of the music that I've always gravitated towards. You know, even a lot of punk rock stuff is always the California stuff, you know, mm. Descendants, Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, you know, it's like I always seem to be drawn to yeah, any yeah. of the California stuff or the, the surf sound, you know, it's like, um, you know, we, we just lost Dick Dale, who I was lucky enough to also uh, be an acquaintance of. And, oh, uh, man, yeah. As soon as I heard him, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I get this, you know, I was like, this is right up my alley, you know. But yeah, do you remember the first like song that you had, or maybe a seven inch or something that you picked uh, up or threw in the jukebox when you were a kid? Oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, when I got my record player, which I don't remember for seventy five or seventy six, because yeah. you know I was really into records that are really. Let me guess. Got- Did you get rock and roll music? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got okay. Spirit of, Spirit of America. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. So you got the the like best of 
collection, right, which basically. Had, which had, yeah. Which had, which had just come out right. at that point. Gotcha. You know? And also being 1976 and the whole centennial and everything, you know, there was a huge resurgence for the Beach Boys. So, of course, you know, it, it just kind of all makes sense that, you know, I was I was aware at that time and, you know, they had a very big presence at that point. Yeah, they so, kind of, yeah, that was definitely uh, their, maybe, you know, maybe one of their biggest moments in popularity was like 75 around there. Right. So pretty crazy. Well, back to back to what you were saying that, you know, uh, a lot of us kind of missed, miss the popularity. Um, mm-hmm. You have to understand when Kokomo came out, which is right when I was going to all those shows and, and doing the backstage thing, um, I was in high school at that point. And, right. you know, that was a, that was I think one of the biggest songs of all time, you know, so they yeah, had a big. huge resurgence at that point. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to, uh, to, to see them so much cause you know, they were playing cause they were, they were hot at that point again. That's awesome, man. So what, what is it that keeps you coming back to see them over and over again? Like, cause a lot of guys, you know, it'd be like, oh, I've seen them a few times. I've seen it. I'm done with it. You know, like, what is it that makes it exciting for you on the hundredth time? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's cool? Well, what's cool at this point is, as you said, they have both on both sides been yeah. really changing up the set list. Right. So that you know that's huge. And you know, for a while there, you know, after after Carl passed and they started touring again in '98, you know, so by '99 you had to go see the two different camps and you'd hear different songs. You know, there, there, of course, there was overlap, you know, on the big hits, but there was a lot of stuff that didn't overlap. So, yep. you know, that made it interesting. And then at one point, you know, there were three or four different camps because, you know, the reason my numbers started to get so high because, you know, I'd see Brian, I'd see Mike as the Beach Boys, I'd see Al in the Endless Summer. Um, and then, strangely enough, David Marks was living about 25 minutes from me. So, you know, the first time I saw David, he was, uh, his wife was selling some photography and artwork and he was just like playing at her table, you know, here in New York. And, uh, so, you know, it it was kind of cool. You know, I got to actually like hang out with him for a little bit and actually talk to him. So that was, that that was pretty awesome. Yeah, man. Um, so we're kind of in the thick of it right now. Like the episode that we're doing now, um, that you're going to be on is, is talking about, wouldn't it be nice? So, um, we're kind of moving through pet sounds at a snail's pace, but it's kind of hard not to, you know, yeah, you can't just, you, <laughs> you can't, can't just, over you can't, man. It's just, there's so much to talk about. Like these songs have so much, you know, th- there's so much for everyone and there's so much life and, and, and history and heartbreak in these songs and, and just lots of love, man. And there's a lot that went into making these songs and they are just so timeless. So it's really something that I've wanted to, you know, put the time into because I think these songs mean so much to people. Um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've seen them do the pet sounds tour. How many times now, you know, it's like the first one was in like, Oh one. And then he did like a 40th anniversary. And then, you know, and then on the tour with Jeff Beck, they decided to just go back to doing pet sounds. And then the last three or four years, you know, he's been doing, some shows are pet sound shows and some shows are not, you know, the greatest hits are pet sounds. Sure. Yeah. Brian, I felt like to me, Brian was kind of winding down and, um, obviously yeah, well, that's well, not well, as much the case now, but you know, I felt like how, it may how be, many times, 
Yeah, I mean, how many times have we read that Brian said this is going to be this my is last it. tour, right? Or this I'm is the, the final tour, and yeah, I mean, we've heard that several times. I mean, it's 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 almost over ten years. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to believe anymore. So, I mean, and that's another topic of discussion I could probably ask you about. Um, is you know, what? a lot of people are writing in to us, and a lot of people have 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 talked to us about it. Is like, is it time for Brian to retire? You know. Is it past his? Is it past his time? Well, it's weird because you know sometimes he, you know I definitely saw a progression from like you know the Boston Symphony show like Brian's okay to get out of the car, you know to to Pet Sounds, you know where he still wasn't quite all there on that Pet Sounds tour, but by Lucky Old Son, you know he was a lot more lucid and fluent, you know. All right, and then I know. Uh, and then you get to the point. Yeah, I've seen him so many times that you know he has nights when he's on and he's very engaged and he has other nights where he's very introverted, you know? So it's, uh, I don't know, but yeah, I mean the last, last few tours, it's probably been questionable, but you know, every time I think, every time you think you're going to write him off, you go see him and he's totally lucid and fluent and just like totally on the ball and talkative with the audience and like all smiles. And you know, it's, it's crazy. You see what I used to tell people when they asked me about the two different, uh, the, the two different bands is uh, the Beach Boys band. Mike's band was always technically so far above. I mean, there's just no comparison. You know, it's like they're just a whole nother level. But, you know, as proficient as they are, you know, it's like when they're on, they were good. But when you saw Mike's band, Mike's band could be okay, but when they were on, they rocked. Yeah, it was yeah. a rock show, and they rocked. And ever since the fiftieth anniversary, they've been a lot more. Um, they, they they they've just been on. They rock, you know. As I said last summer, you know, I I went with Xander, and you know, we sat right up front, and like you know, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, they they rocked. You know, it was a perfect summer night. The weather was perfect, and the, the crowd was totally psyched and screaming and yelling and you know it felt like an 80s show to me and you know and that's kind of that's what i go for you know at this point <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like this point it's kind of like chasing the dragon you know it's like so i used to right. go every opportunity i get but you know now uh, you, you know a lot of times my, my gigging schedule would dictate what i went to and what i didn't see as as you know as you've said in your case and you know i i, I missed a lot especially in the mid 90s you know i, I missed carl at the end you know, I don't think I went from uh, 94, 95, or 96. I was just, you know, I was playing 150 nights a year at that point. So, I, yeah, uh, I missed a lot. But, uh, you know, it's like you're chasing the dragon. So now I try to pick the shows that I know are going to be good. So it's like, okay, Brian's playing here on, with the zombies, but it's indoors at the Beacon. And, you know, it's a great theater, but, you know, you think Beach Boys, you think summer, you think outside. So I'm like, okay, well, they're playing the Greek and it's in L.A. It's like, it's kind of like a no-brainer. It's like, okay, I got to find a way to make this happen, you know? So th those shows always tend to be, the, you know, the better shows. So in the summertime, I always try. If I have a chance to see them at an outdoor venue, that's what I'll gravitate towards. I want to thank you very much, Craig, for, for coming on and, and doing this interview. I really, really appreciate it. And you're one of the people that I that I think of when I think of uh, the, you know, the breadth of, of fandom. Well, I'm I'm, flat, I'm flattered to be asked, and you know I'm always happy to work with you in any aspect because it's always great, and uh, I'm very fortunate that I have seen seen what I've seen over the years, and 
you know, that's the other thing I guess that keeps me going is because like I said before, you, you never know when it's going to be the last one. And also, you know, I don't think Brian has threatened to stop touring for, for 10 plus years. And, you know, I used to read that and burst into tears, <laughs> but you know, it's like at the point we're at now is like, I feel like there is never, ever going to be a farewell tour. It's just gonna, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's unfortunately, it's unfortunately, you know, when something happens to one of those guys, it's, I, I think it's just going to happen, you know? So, uh, you know, that's, that's to answer the question why I keep going. That's another reason why I keep going because it doesn't feel like summer without going. And, you know, it's been such a huge part of my life and, you know, now I get to share it with my son and, you know, it's just, I just want to be able to experience it while I can. Some people go to church every week. I see the beach boys when they come around. So nice. That's man. That. Well, um, hopefully we'll get to catch you, um, at one of our sail on gigs later this summer we got some gigs up your way so i'll i'll try and coordinate with you uh yeah i think daryl's house is on a sunday so i'll definitely be there yeah man all right well we'll talk more about that but um thank you very much for doing this and uh Dude, thank you um yeah I'm man deep, I'm deeply flattered I, <laughs> and i sincerely mean that well uh, it means a lot man for you taking the time and uh, i look forward to seeing you soon absolutely same here all right thank brother you. thank you so much i'll talk to you later all right love Bye. you man love talk you too later. rock album that's when you know things were starting to get a little bit heavier and he, he just said i'm gonna do the greatest album and he did it i remember when the album was completely finished and he brought home the demo disc of the album and we just you know laid down on the bed and just listened it was like heaven i mean he was so proud all right that was a short clip from my hour-long chat with Craig, and you can get the whole thing over on the Patreon page. Uh, for a $5 subscription per month, you can access two new bonus episodes every month, and it helps keep the podcast free of advertisements. And I wanted to acknowledge a few of our patrons at the moment. David Goffstein, Sean Courtney, Eli Bolin, Jim Sheppis, and Doug Stoniker. So thank you guys for supporting the show. And head on over to patreon.com slash sail on to get all those goodies. We got a new sail on radio episode coming out very soon. <clears throat> Let's get into a couple emails today. First one is from Sophie Lever. She says, hi guys. Hope you're well. Really loving the podcast. I've been listening since early this year. My love for the Beach Boys began to grow after singing in a choral arrangement for God Only Knows back in school with it quickly becoming one of my all-time favorite songs. My boyfriend and I met in 2015 and became friends over our shared love of pet sounds and sang together in a Beach Boys presentation at university this year. I was very happy to be Brian in the group. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. This August, we went to see Brian and Al and the band perform pet sounds, one of the best days of my life. We even met a fellow Sail On listener. Hearing the intro Boom. to Wouldn't It Be Nice reduced me to tears. I've emailed in before, but had to get in contact again because I am still absolutely obsessed with the podcast. One of my favorite albums being Little Deuce Coop. The Ballad of Old Betsy is now one of my top tunes after you guys talked about it. I'd love, love, love to hear a real nerdy musical analysis of any of the music. I think it would possibly make my life. Since moving to Liverpool, it has been impossible to escape the Beatles, so finding other Beach Boys fanatics is brilliant. Thanks again. Sending my love and mercy from England. Sophie, age 21, a baby Beach Boys fan. 
Sophie, incredible, incredible stuff there. Uh, I love that you sang Beach Boys in School. And that's really cool that you met some Ceylon listeners at a show, at a Brian show. That's pretty great. And I, I remember the first time I saw Brian live and heard uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice live, and it flipped me out too. So I know the feeling exactly. Um, but it's really cool that you, people, you and others like you who listen and write in, basically give Wyatt and myself permission to be this nerdy. So uh, it's pretty incredible. Thanks for writing in, and hopefully we can try to get Sail on to come to England. Wouldn't that be cool, Wyatt? Nah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah, of course. I would absolutely love to go to England. I haven't been since I was 16 years old, and um, I would absolutely love that. It would be great. Um, And and I will say I've been on a really big Beatles kick lately, Sophie, so embrace your, your surroundings a little. I've been meaning to check those guys out. I heard that, you know, there's a couple good songs in there. I'm just going to go, I'm going to give one quick plug. As nerdy as we are about the Beach Boys, I just, I've discovered this about five or six years ago, but I keep coming back to it. There's this 18 part anthology, audio anthology. So after you're done listening to an episode of Sail On, you need to go hunt down that Beatles, um, uh, podcast that's on soundcloud and and go back and forth between our show and that that's a highly high recommendation yeah i'll put a link to that in the show notes yeah okay cool um was that like a fan-made thing yeah it's a it's a fan-made thing and whoever put it together spent so much time on it but it is enthralling it's similar to what we do with the kind of like um, like with our Bruce Johnston episode yes. sort of, and like stuff like yeah. that. Like I really it's, dig it's that exactly, style. Me too. And that it's yeah. exactly, it's in that, in that ballpark. And, uh, so if you're a Beatles fanatic, it's fantastic. So once we're done, you know, making all these ones we're making for the beach boys, then we're going to have our own, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I just wanted to say thanks for, for all the kind words. And that's awesome that you met another Ceylon listener. That's that's crazy if that happens in real life without us even being there. Um, it just shows how far and wide this this fandom is reaching. So really happy just to hear that. Bring them together. And um, I would love to do an analysis of some, you know, more nerdy aspects of the Beach Boys. So um, we're still looking into that. I'm thinking about how to make that work and how to not alienate the people that um, are casual listeners. So yeah, stay tuned. Up next, we have an email from our good buddy and patron of the show, Bruce Harbour. Hey guys, I signed on at the Patreon and thought I should accept the Pet Sounds Challenge. Spoiler alert, as much as I'd like to be cool or avant-garde and pick a lesser-known track, I keep going back to Wouldn't It Be Nice. First, I agree with Jason that the intro to California Girls may be the most amazing 22 seconds of music ever written to open a song. It's the sound of sunrise and a new day dawning. Wake the world. I emailed SiriusXM recently and asked that their morning 60s on 6 DJ, Flash Phelps, stop talking over the intro, and that intro talkovers were one of the things one of the things I don't miss about cheesy 1960s AM radio DJs. For Brian Wilson is God's sake, let's hear the music. <laughs> the entire track to Wouldn't It Be Nice oh, may be the second best piece of music Brian has written. I continually listen to the wow. instrumental track from the Pet Sound Sessions, the vocals only track, the track and background vocals only. Back to back to back to back. Each stands alone is great music. 
When they all come together, it's literally musical magic. From the accordion duet to the slowing tempo change near the end, Wouldn't It Be Nice is the signature sound of what Brian set out to accomplish, musically and vocally. Imagine being a 15-year-old new Beach Boys fan in 1972 and buying a Carl and the Passions So Tough on 8-track to play while cruising in a 1971 Orange Ford Pinto. I believe the only album by the band I owned at the time was Best Of Volume 2, the first Beach Boys album I bought, which included the sale on classic Long Tall Texan. I was not familiar with the bonus album it included, Pet Sounds, but it literally changed my life. I've been hooked for the 47 years since. By the way, my first time to see the boys live was December 1st, 1973 in Memphis. Wow. That was the first time I bought concert tickets with my own money. I drove to the ticket office and plopped down $20 for four tickets. Do the math. Four goes into 20x times. Around that time, I bought the In Concert album released 12 days earlier. And fortunately, have been able to relive the concert through the years. I've seen the boys many times since. To Carl's to include Carl's 1981 solo tour and Mike Love with Celebration. Ouch. Whoa. But 1973 possibly ranks as the best. As you guys have mentioned, it might have been the best assemblage of the touring band. That's enough for now. Keep those podcasts coming. Later, first mate Bruce Harbour, ready to ship out and sail on. I mean, I'm a little speechless because of all those killer shows he got to see. I mean... Yep. I'm telling you, if I could have a time machine and the time machine only took me to concerts, um, I would go see the Beach Boys in 1972, 73, somewhere in there. And I'd go see Elvis in the 50s and the Beatles, probably on their last tour, to be honest with you, with the Beatles. Um, I think that'd be super cool to see them like in Japan or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't ask for a better scenario that I would be stoked about than seeing the beach boys in the, in the early seventies. So Bruce, that's super rad. You've had a long, long journey as a fan and it's great to, you know, hear from people like you listening to young guys like us talk about their favorite music. Yep. Thank you very much, Bruce, for your support. And, um, you're the first person I've ever talked to that has seen celebration live that's incredible yeah that is gary griffin world man that is very very rare so yeah um looking forward to getting into that era and um yeah i mean obviously 1972 73 beach boys one of the best uh live lineups they've ever had but i think if i had to play this game and and go back and see a tour or a show. I'd probably go to the Hollywood bowl in summer 1965 when Brian came back and played with them. That was, that's probably my dream concert if I had to see one because just the, his, the history around it and just, it's probably pretty rad. The set list was, you know, was really special and having Brian back um, for a very rare performance. And probably after that, I'd probably say one of the, you know, Hawaii shows from um, 1967 would be up there, but <clears throat> pretty sick. Anyway, let's keep this let's keep this boat moving forward in the right direction here, and uh, let's start talking about the uh, next song that we're going to get into for Pet Sounds. And as you guys know from the emails, it's a song called "Wouldn't It Be Nice." Here we go. Wouldn't it be nice? Take one. <laughs> 
Al, here's how I want to do it. Take it. It's like this. First beat on the last bar of the intro. You'll go boom, two, three, four, bop, bop. This time at Gold Star Studios. First time they've been there since, I think, Do You Want to Dance? Back in um, early 65. I wanted to record Wouldn't Have Been Nice at Gold Star because it has a good echo chamber and I like the echo. The wall of sound, you have to give Phil Spector credit for building it. But I think the wall that Brian built was more textured and much more subtle. There's just sort of a musicality to Brian's work that goes beyond what Spectre ever dreamed of. They started the sessions here on January 22nd with Barney Kessel and Jerry Cole on the guitars. We also, of course, had on acoustic guitar Bill Pittman. Three bass players, Fender bass by Carol Kay, upright bass by Lyle Ritz, and then Dan Electro bass by Ray Pullman. Drums, none other than Hal Blaine, of course. I love the way this track starts with the guitars playing kind of what would be a foreshadowing of the bridge section. And um, you've got the electric mandolin guitar and then you've got the 12-string electric. It took some time for them to really communicate how that intro was going to work out. Brian had some had a yeah. very specific idea for what Hal should play and he wanted it to stay very simple. So once Hal figured that out, they were off. Um, you got on percussion, including the sleigh bells, Timpani and Glockenspiel, Frank Cap. You were hip to what was happening. You were a little bit, uh... Frankie, no, none of those big pickups. Bah, bah, just, uh, just like, uh, doo-doo, doo-doo, pickups, just like that. Just not none of those, doo-doo, 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 you know? Never more than just, uh, doo-doo, doo-doo, okay? On the amazing accordions, which kind of drives the entire track, you've got Carl Fortina and Frank Morocco. And then you've got, of course, the, the horns. You've got trumpet, Roy Caton on the saxophone, Steve Douglas and Plaz Johnson, and then baritone sax, Jay Migliori. Oh, yeah, and I should mention, of course, Larry Nectel and Al Delori on piano. So lots of guys that we've been talking about before from the Wrecking Crew. Pretty much the all-stars here, and... How uh, Blaine leading the session as always, Brian Wilson producing from the booth. Took him about six takes to really nail the intro, but once they had that down, they were off. They were mixing the track as they went, as usual. Brian telling everybody where he wanted them to sit in relation to the microphones. Hal had headphones on because both Jerry Cole and Barney Kessel were playing the guitars direct to the board, so no one else could hear them in the studio. Um, so Hal had to kind of keep everybody on the same page through the intro. thought that was pretty cool. Oh! We lost the accordion sound. Where'd it go? Well, let me hear... You're both up in the same register, I hope. Lyle Rich said, the rest of the band was in another key and I knew that I was wrong. So during the break, I looked at everybody else's music to see that it was a mistake because you can't do that, but Brian somehow pulled it off. So they're referring to the bridge here. 
um, in which the guitars and, and pianos are all playing in the key of A and uh, the bass is in the key of D. And it's one of the most interesting things about this song, um, how Brian was able to pull that off. And maybe that'll be one of those things we get into more uh, later on in the more nerdy way with the music theory behind it. But um, if you listen to the intro, that's basically the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, as the bridge. Yeah, the intro and the bridge are exactly the same. And so it's which is which is incredible because they are two different keys. Yeah, it, it's the same on the guitar. And right. The bass is different. So. Yeah, so the bass, the bass is uh, kind of doing its own thing, and and the song, the implied key is D, but the but the guitars are playing in a riff in A. So it's just a really interesting kind of duality there, and something that Brian obviously has been working with. We we talked about that oh, it's, before. It's just beautiful, beautiful relative harmony. Yeah, that's right. Um, the way that he kind of goes in between those keys, going to the relative minor um, from F to D for the bridge with. Uh, the rest of the instruments in A, and then somehow getting back into the key of F seamlessly is pretty impressive. Brian says, listen for the rock and accordions and the ethereal guitars in the introduction. Tony and I had visualized a scene. We had a feeling in our hearts like a vibration. We put it into music and found its way onto tape. We really felt good about that record. Accordion stay in that same groovy thing we had because if we lose it, it's that, it's that certain vibration or frequency thing when you're both about the same distance, it comes through great. Can I just hear you one more time? Get, play the first thing. Now you do the da 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 the first time, but the very last time, you know the fade out? Just play the reverse thing. Just play it, t t t t okay? Mark that so you'll know. Frankie, you know in the part we could get, well, like he knows the lyric, right? You know the part. Let's have a good strong take and we're in. And that's it. 21, please. Couple more tries and they had a master take on number 21 at 11.30 at night. First of all, you just mentioned the intro and Brian talking about the guitars. It's such a weird thing. I, is Barney Kessel's mandolin guitar combo thing that he like invented or whatever or he put together? It's super distinct. It's playing that high, the the, the noticeable part of the intro lick that everybody knows. It's it's playing that you know that and. It's a sound that is so singular to that particular instrument. Like, you know, if you see any of the Beach Boys bands or Brian play it, or if anybody's even tried to record a cover of it, it can never get the sound of that tonality of that instrument because it's its own thing. Um, so I'm always kind of 
you know, blown away by how cool that sounds. And then there's another, a 12-string guitar playing the counter, two different guitars playing two different parts. So that in itself is super cool. And you, and you mentioned like the pickup. It's, it's such a monumental moment in that song that just the drums, the way they enter with just the big boom. And Wyatt knows what I'm talking about. Um, it, it's just like, all right, you hear the magic of the little, the fairyland magic of those guitars kicking off the top of this song, and then that the big drum crashing in. Like, I mean, go nerdy here with like an ocean wave just going boom, and you're in. I mean, it's as impactful as Be My Baby, which I is still like, you know, one of my favorite intros ever too. So it's just another kind of instance of that great drummer, Hal Blaine, and a brilliant mind like Brian Wilson, just as Phil Spector had his brilliance with his tracks, you know, kind of just knowing how to set the scene for the song. Um, and, and it's cool because it modulates at the top. It's in one key for that intro and then modulates into the song. I mean, it, I don't know. It's, uh, there aren't many songs that do that and do that that well. So, I mean, this is a, this is an all timer. Yeah, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to jump right into the key of F from the key of A. It's just a strange jump, but somehow it, it works. And I think it's a, part of it is just two whole the, steps down. Yeah. I mean, part of it, it's, it's, the command at which the lead vocal jumps in to the pickup. Um, yeah. But I mean, we'll get into that in a sec, but um, yeah, what a great track. I mean, you can definitely tell that this is a inspired Phil Spector style track. I mean, the bass part definitely evokes be my baby in that style. And um, mm -hmm. the pre-chorus is also just this amazing, you know, almost two different keys going at the same time with the bass playing fifths and thirds and and sevenths and just it's hard to feel out what key we're actually moving into and where we're where we're going but it all works somehow and that's the thing that made brian so special so one other thing i was going to point out was that the way the rhythm of the bass almost in their own rhythmic pattern completely separate from the what the rest of the track really is kind of gelling together makes the song move yeah like especially during the bridge you know playing that playing its little lick that it plays against the opposite rhythms that the guitars are doing and then the constant you know four on the floor essentially the accordions are doing um with the keyboards i don't know and then you've got the static whole notes of the horns i mean come on this yep. is this is uh poetry in motion as they say the way that the song kind of ebbs and flows through the last pre-chorus if you will you know how it slows down and there's these crescendos and and the basses are playing these arpeggios it's very grandiose um yep. and it's it's really unique as far as pop music goes um and especially as an opening track to have something like this on a beach boys record was just kind of out of this world and that's just without the insane vocal arrangement that we're about to talk about so i could listen to this track all day long it's just there's it's so deep and so wide the last thing i wanted to say about the track was the thing that always is always been present in my mind about this but i don't ever acknowledge it is the drum fill that Hal does, Hal Blaine does, right before they go to the slowdown part of that of the bridge, is such a cool, like drum fill. It's super understated. It's not blasting through your ears, but 
it's so precise. I listened to the track a bunch over the last couple of weeks, so I'm kind of overanalyzing at this point. But, but the way that that drum fill just kind of falls together and slows down while he's doing this really precise, has to be perfect drum fill. You drummers out there will understand the perfection of this. And, and, and listeners, I hope if you listen to just the track, you can really appreciate the, I don't know, the skill and the, and the moment there with that drum fill. So um, you'll have to get in there and really get into it. But it's, it's one of my favorite things on the whole track. Along those lines, I mean, I think it's super impressive the way they get back into the main groove after the big kind of breakdown section. Uh, Frank Cap on the timpani and then Hal Blaine on the drum kit playing in tandem. You know, and yeah, that's like incredible. In perfect sync. The way that those guys are synced up in the session is unreal. I mean, those guys have played on hundreds and hundreds of sessions together. But, God, that just blows my mind. You know, it sounds like they're playing to a click track almost. You know, it's just so perfectly played and so in sync. And then when the band comes back in, you know, those accordions just chugging. I mean, it's just because there's not a whole lot of subdivisions on the drums. You know, um, again, like sort of like we were talking about last time, uh, with Caroline, no, it was kind of up to the accordions this time to kind of keep the rhythm of the song going yep. on those, on those, you know, those swung eighth notes. Um, and the accordions have that awesome, you know, kind of almost phasing sound that Brian was going for playing the exact same part, you know, the same, uh, distance from the microphone. So they had like this crazy overtone, crazy, like huge, you know, almost unearthly sound from, an instrument that's very familiar, but upon first listen, it's hard to tell that it's even an accordion. It sounds like some sort of strange new organ that he's invented. Uh, it's really impressive and really, really cool. And, and, and it seems like Brian had that idea just in his head already because they, as soon as they start playing, he, he starts telling them, Hey, we, we almost lost that accordion thing. Get, get back in the position. He knows exactly what he's going for. Um, and you don't hear a lot of accordion in pop music at this point either. So just lots of really cool ideas and, and, and thoughtfulness in the arrangement from Brian, of course. I mean, even down to the tuning of the drums and how perfectly tuned and great they sound and the mic placement and everything they did. And this time in eight, I mean, Larry Levin doesn't get enough credit for being a brilliant sound designer. I'm such a big Phil Spector freak. And all that stuff sounds incredible. And then with Brian, stuff like he, on this track, it's a lot gentler than Phil's sound. But every little nuance on that three-track tape is being picked up. And the tuning and the, and the tones of everything. Oh, man, I could talk about this forever. Um, but anyway, so big props to Larry. Hats off to Larry. Yeah, Larry Levin or Larry Levine, however you say it, um, Phil Spector's boy. So it, it's uh, it's a really big sound. Obviously, we are um, still in the Phil Spector worship, and I'll never leave it. It's it's true. I mean, it, it's it's a unique sound that everybody tried to emulate, and I think with this track, Brian surpassed it and brought it to a new place of clarity, but also. Um, like I said, it's it's deep and wide, just like um, 
those Phil Spector productions. So once they had the track, it was a while before they actually made it to the final vocal take because they spent lots of time working on it. They originally recorded vocals at Western. And interestingly enough, Elvis was recording next door at that particular session. And Brian was super nervous to actually go talk to him. He had never actually met him. So he sent Bruce over there to talk to him. And he said, go talk to Elvis. <laughs> go, go see what he's doing and go let me know. And then as soon as Bruce came back, Brian hung on every word. He was like, what did Elvis say? What is he doing? You know, it's pretty funny. So cool, man. I I would have flipped too, but man, I got to meet Elvis. Come on, Brian. I wonder what he was recording. I wonder what Elvis was tracking at Western on February 16th, 1966. Terrible music. Terrible movie music that I love. Yeah, but it's right. It's terrible. Well, uh, they did not do end up it. keeping those vocals, but on Thursday, March 3rd, back at western they recorded the vocals again and uh this was where you have the first two lines of the song reversed And you can tell that the vocals aren't quite perfect and they're not quite there. The lead vocal's great, but I think the backing vocals still needed some work. And the arrangement is almost identical. But yeah, this was this was the the song that, that notoriously ended up being the, the one that took the longest and, and this was the, the most sessions they'd ever done for one song. That was one that just uh, was never quite right. And it just uh, in his mind, he could not, he just didn't hear it. He wasn't hearing it. Now, come on, guys, you can do better than that. Brian was between a hipster and uh, and one of your famous British generals that was tough. He was tough. He demanded everything from everybody. Wouldn't it be nice? Is upbeat and, and fabulous. It's a great arrangement. Uh, we worked many hours doing the perfecting the harmonies on that one. That was that was a labor of love. That's for sure. <laughs> Do you remember why you decided to put Mike back in the in the bridge on Wouldn't It Be Nice to back up? Yeah, because I wanted him to take part in that song. Maybe if we think a mission open great might come true. Run, run with the baby. Brian did take a couple passes at the bridge as well, and you can hear that on some of the mixes that have been released. And uh, the final vocals were recorded uh, somewhere between March 10th and March 22nd. Then also overdubs on April 11th. So these were done at Columbia Studio A. And I know that these were done at Columbia because they are done on an 8-track machine. And Columbia was the only place that had an 8-track machine at the time. So Brian could go in there and I think we've discussed this before, but he could go in there and do seven tracks of vocals after bouncing the instrumental track to mono so he had a lot more to work with here and could do a lot more overdubbing and he could put himself on a track a bunch more times on the backing vocals of course you've got brian bruce al carl mike and dennis and everything was double tracked sometimes triple tracked 
and it's a really huge arrangement. Obviously, Brian's vocal is super powerful and comes in with a bang. Probably the most powerful lead vocal he ever did, in my opinion. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be nice to live together? Vocal arrangement is absolutely massive and huge, and you can hear every Beach Boy in that mix. You know it's gonna make it that much better When we can say goodnight and stay together Wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up in the morning When the day is noon And after having spent the day together Hold each other close the whole night through I thought that was a nice young idea for a song which is you know going to be nice if we were older the lyrics were almost completely written by tony asher over the course of one or two days except for the little uh, couplet at the end the good night baby sleep tight baby that was mike love's idea uh, he didn't originally get credit for lyrics on this song but um as we know much later he got credit for a lot of the songs that he worked on with brian but the lyrics, yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things where Tony and Brian would have these long conversations about love and life, and Brian kind of expressed the the idea that uh, the song was based on the you know couple that couldn't get married, that wanted to get married, that was too young, and and would just fantasize about it, and it was something that Tony had also experienced, and that Tony kind of took and ran with, so came up with an amazing lyric and relatable lyric that a lot of teenagers at the time understood and could really relate to. Um, and I've heard different stories. I've heard that Brian was inspired by both his sister-in-law, Diane, but also by his secretary at the time uh, with this idea, because I know that, you know, Brian was recently married, but struggled with his marriage and, and with and with Marilyn, um, as we talked about in Caroline No and, and we'll talk about it again moving forward but um, regardless of that it's a beautiful song it's one of my favorite lyrics on this record you know the lyric in there um, about in a world in the kind of world that we belong um, yeah, that's a theme that comes up in a lot of the lyrics on the whole album um, you know I just wasn't made for these times kind of in that realm and several other things. And I think it's interesting how in a weird way, Brian kind of is commentating on like some alienation that maybe he feels or has always felt. I think a lot of people that really resonate with this song and a lot of pet sounds, you know, people like myself and I'm sure why it's related to this you know, that's kind of a thing where you kind of sometimes think, you know, that this music kind of taps into a special place in your emotions that maybe not everybody understands. So I don't know. That line's always stuck out to me for that for that reason. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people have, have talked about this album as being a concept album. And I know that Brian and Tony didn't intend for it to be, but... If you look at the sequence, and, and we'll talk about this later on when we wrap this up, but uh, when, we, when we talk about the album as a whole, you can kind of 
see this as being like sort of an affair of, of love that kind of goes bad or, or some, or sort of a journey through the different emotions of relationships and struggling with self doubt and struggling with finding a place in the world. So there's a lot of great themes here that, that popped up naturally because of where Brian was and, and, and where Tony Asher was really. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons they connected is because they had similar experiences in life and in love. So after Caroline No and Sloop John B, this was the third single released, backed with God Only Knows in the United States, released on July 18th. And it entered the Billboard chart on July 30th and remained there for 11 weeks, peaking at number eight in September. It actually peaked at number four in Canada, and then the single reached number two in the UK. So you can definitely see that they are peaking at the right time in, in England. And uh, that will continue with yep. good vibrations, and 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 we'll talk about that, of course. But um, to kind of wrap up this song discussion, I think this is the ultimate wall of sound song. I think I don't think it got really any better for Brian or Phil Spector, as far as the overall song and the overall sound. Um, the arrangement is just so perfect, and just everything's just glued together perfectly, and and you can hear every little nuance, and it's that you know, thing that is kind of hyperbole at this point, but just like where uh, Brian would play three different basses at the same time and, and play a tack piano and a grand piano and play two different accordions and play two different guitars and all these things that now are, are more like studio tropes, but it's just, you know, the doubling of instruments and the tripling of instruments and trying to get new sounds by combining things um, is just really what makes this track shine and really shimmer. Um, all those little inconsistencies and the, the nuances and the different instruments and the different players. So I think it's, it's notable for that, but also the song itself is brilliant. I think it might be the best, uh, as far as like the best collaboration, um, Tony Asher completely just knocked it out of the park on this one. And, uh, I think this one and you still believe in me were the only ones that they wrote kind of on their own, like separately, like, like Tony Asher wrote all the lyrics and Brian wrote all the music as, as in, as where other songs on the record, they kind of collaborated at the piano and Tony would share his musical ideas with Brian and Brian would share his lyric ideas with Tony. So, yeah, I think it's obvious this song is a 10 from both of us. I don't even need to ask Jason. <laughs> I know, I know this is a 10. So Duh. I, I hate to, you know, this is this is where it gets kind of uh, the suspense is is really non-existent for this for this era because pretty much every one of these songs is a ten, and it's hard to think of any anything to complain about on this song. It's just almost perfect. So, if it's not the greatest opening track to an album, I don't really know what else is. It's really hard to to beat it. I mean, as soon as you hit it, you're in a magical dream world. It's amazing. Together. Wouldn't it 
They did a few different live versions of this record, of course. They did it first uh, on their tours in 66, and, and then in 67 they played it in Hawaii, and you know Brian came back for that show, and it's kind of amusing hearing Brian um, at the rehearsal try and sing lead on this. They're doing it in the original key, of course, and he gets about halfway through the first verse and just kind of says, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so... We know Al for singing this song live ever since then, really. So obviously yeah. they did it live in London, live at Big Sur, and of course on the great In Concert album. And uh, Such a good version, too. It rocks, and it's got a groove that they never, ever had any other time on this song, on that version. Quite a, quite a killer groove. Yeah, we've definitely heard several people talk about that version, because um, it is I fl- awesome. I flip for it, but anyway... And also, yeah, I mean, recently Brian still does it, and it's great that Al's with him because Al sings it. So you've got that classic Beach Boys live version still living um, with Brian Wilson's live shows. So wrapping it up, great song, great album. We love it. Next week, we're going to be talking about another great song from this record. It's called You Still Believe in Me. Yes. So thank you guys for sticking around with us. We will talk to you soon. We hope to see you out there on the road. Um, Check us out online. We have a great Facebook group called the Sail On Beach Boys Appreciation Group. Um, SailOnSounds.com, SailOnPodcast at gmail.com for email. Uh, Send us a voicemail at 615-606-3887. All the music that we play for our bumpers is done by Will C at willcmusic.com these links are in the show notes thank you guys very much until next time sail on sailors
Beach Boys. How nice of that man to give me a CD that will remind me of all the wonderful times I shared with his daughter. What an asshole! What an idiot!